Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a bit of a quiet week in in the the world of the Anaheim Ducks. They only played two games, but uh, two pretty interesting games against the Vegas Golden Knights. One loss, one win, but it feels like things are trending in the right direction, Jake. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, this is the most hopeful I think I've been about the Ducks in a long, long time. Don't take that as me saying that I think everything's right, everything's great, everything's rosy, but I think there's a lot of positives to be taken away from this past week, from the two games against Vegas. I I think we will probably try to add a little bit of realism to all of it, but I think for the most part, this was a really good series for this Ducks team, and I think a lot of Ducks fans should be leaving the series with kind of the warm and fuzzies in their stomach. See, I actually will push back on that a bit. Okay. (laughs) Well, no, because you, you said that you know, we'll bring a little bit of realism to it and we will, but I think it's not one of those, Hey, there's a catch when the, like with the, the LA and San no. Jose games, like this was it, kind of like, you can almost take it at face value type. The only, there's one minor catch. I think one minor. Okay. Catch, okay. Which is that Vegas didn't have Shea Theodore for one of the games. And there were some minor in some injuries on their blue line that left them a little bit uh, ragged, but for the most part, that's going to happen with any team you play. And so that's well, why I'm saying a little and, bit of realism. And in, yeah, but you could say the same thing about the Ducks. They're without Josh Manson. They didn't play Danton Hine in one game. Uh, you know, they they have their own injuries. So, yeah, of course, not having Shea Theodore for the Golden Knights, that does make it a little different. But I I think this is as close to you can take it as at face value as any performance we've seen this season. Definitely. So definitely, completely funny, agree. funny that I am the positive one right now and you're the casting doubt. Shocking. Shocking. The hater. I, I, I wasn't casting doubt. I was just simply <laughs> say, saying we will add some sort of context to all of this. And that context, in my opinion, is just the injuries on the blue line. But you, but you that said, is a minor one. You made a minor comment and I extrapolated it as yes. extremely as I possibly could. Standard. Standard. That's, that's my role on this show. Standard. Is to give you a hard time. Okay. Uh, yeah, so let's just get into the first game, uh, if you want to, unless you had something else you wanted to say. Or nope, I, I don't nope, know. Nope. You're unpredictable sometimes. I'm I'm very unpredictable. Someone <laughs> has to be the wild card for this show. <laughs> yeah, we haven't. I feel like it's been a while since you've had like a wild card type moment. You used to have those more often. We used to do a podcast every single game, which gave me more opportunities to. Let's go with yeah, that. I'm also just kind of dilly-dallying right now so I can pull up the the, the actual game report. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's what this is. I mean, let, let me think about wildcard moments. I mean, the Bob Murray rant I had a game or two ago, yeah. or a podcast two ago. You, that, you went that's off up kilter. There. That's okay. up there. That's up okay. there. Okay, I have the game report up, so let's just uh, let's just dive right into it. So this was a, this was a really tough loss for the Ducks because... You can look at it two ways, right? You can look at it as, hey, they got down early, right? They got down three to one or three zero, sorry. And then at one point, we're down four to one. They tie it up to make it four four. And then in the dying minutes of the game, in the last five minutes, they give up a goal to Zach Whitecloud and that robs them of the victory. Now, what's interesting about that is that the mindset of this team, you know, Troy Terry after the game talked about how. You know, we can't just be happy that we got close or happy that, you know, that that we fought our way back like that can't be the standard anymore. And I do find that interesting. And by the way, Troy Terry is just a phenomenal quote because he basically just thinks out loud. Yeah. Um, so and and also, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the COVID situation about this game after, in yep. a little bit. But so 
what are your thoughts on, on this game overall, kind of the progression of it, just how things shook out? So this was actually a really interesting game where this is one of the few games this year where you could say the Ducks. I mean, it's it's basically the script. I think we're doing kind of an overall view of this game. The script for most of the season was flipped on its head in this game. For most yeah. of the season, the way the Ducks have played is they've had to defend, 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 haven't really put effort, put shots towards the other team's net, haven't gotten chances towards the other team's net, have had to defend and rely upon brilliant goaltending to, to bail them out and they could pick a goal off going the other way. This game was the exact opposite. This game was the Ducks actually were pushing the play. They had the better of the play at five on five for most of the game with Vegas kind of pushing it back in the third period a little bit with granted. I think Vegas is just Vegas being such a good team. That's kind of where that's coming from. Um, but the Ducks were let down in this game by goaltending. And I, I don't think that's that controversial to say um, I, Vegas didn't get that great of goaltending either from Marc-Andre Fleury. But at the end of the day, this is uh, this game can come down to goaltending because that's what happened in this one. The Ducks lost uh, by a final score of five to four. And you could bet Ryan Miller wants a couple of those back. I mean, if you look at just in general, at some of the numbers throughout the game, uh, if you're looking at all situations, Ryan Miller should have only given up per expected goal models, uh, 2.91 goals against it by in huh. all situations. Oh, all situations. And okay. All, all situations. And he allowed five goals. And, yeah. and so, I mean, that, well, that's well, actually just to distill that down even further. He let he let in all five goals at five on five, and the expected goals at five on five yeah. against the Ducks was one point nine eight. So that discrepancy gets even worse uh, for Ryan Miller there. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's weird because he made some really fantastic saves in this game. Yeah. You know, sliding across in the first period, making that ridiculous glove save on a two on one. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he let in some soft goals also. I, I mean. <laughs> The, yeah. I, I don't think there's really any way around it that some of the goals they let him were, were ones that if you were to ask him about it, he's going to say that he's got to make that save and he's going to make that save most nights. And that is at the end of the day. Granted, you can make all of these brilliant saves. If you're letting in goals, you're letting in goals, whether you're you're letting in the easy one yeah. or the hard one. If the goals are going in, you're letting your team down if you're not saving what you as much as you should. Well, and, and, and yeah, go ahead. One critique I would have, though, is that even though the Ducks carried the play in the first two periods, they didn't necessarily translate that into a ton of shot quality. You know, some of the some of their sure. goals did, did come off of significantly uh, dangerous opportunities. But like, for example, in the first period, they had 15 shot attempts at five on five, but only one of those was a, was a high danger chance. Um, and sure. so whereas Vegas had five <laughs> and, and you can kind of see where that's coming from. But yeah, I mean, overall, like this is still like you got to think about where this team is coming from it, yeah. in, in the beginning of the season, they were getting skated out of the building by the well, Vegas golden Knights. And they, I mean, just to even hold, even, I know that someone like Troy Terry might not want to think about it that way, but that's still a moral victory for this team. And, and this was a team. I mean, l let's just get into the game slightly. They went down three, nothing in this game and they went yeah. down three, nothing. They were significantly down. And I think the, the positive is, it almost felt like there. this may be a St. Louis game all over again. Now, granted, not as early as that game was when, when they went down in that one. But um, this felt like that all over again. And then kind of the Ducks got a quick goal after the the third goal from, from Vegas. And they were able to really kind of build some momentum off of that, get some momentum going the other direction. And that was Isaac Lundestrom's goal, I believe. Yep. Uh, they scored with a really nice shot in the slot that honestly... 
I didn't think I just Isaac Lundstrom had that, that he type had, of that shot. he had that in his bag. <laughs> yeah, I I really honestly didn't. Now, granted, these guys make the NHL. They all have that type of caliber of shot. I think if given the time and space, I just didn't expect him to be able to make that at the end at the NHL level. And so, really impressive there. And the Ducks were able to build a lot of momentum in this game, kind of off of that. And what we saw a lot was, I mean, and then obviously Vegas scored again, which this was the goal I think I thought personally was going to be the the backbreaker for the Ducks to mm-hmm. go down four to one in this game because the Ducks had done a really good job up until that fourth goal. They had been controlling play. They had been basically doing everything you would want in the game and then to have one against you. And I believe that this was the soft one that kind of tipped or that knuckled and Miller really probably yep. would want back. And that's and a backbreaker. So, and, and, it can be. And the fact that they were able to find goals after that, the third period on the back of, I mean, got to give, we we've been hard on Dallas Aiken so far this year. I, I think no doubt we would both agree with that, but give credit to him. He shuffled up the lines and put something together this game that I think you and I would both agree with something more closer to an optimal lineup for this ducks yeah. team. And the top line of Ryan Getzloff, Adam Henrique and Troy Terry just went, went off in that third period. And we're really generating chances. And if you look at expected goal totals, they had the most expected goal totals of a line for this Ducks team. And they really capitalized on that in the third period and really put the puck in the back of the net, including with the power play strike with a brilliant kind of um, mental awareness from Ryan Getzloff to get to the front of the net. And one of the few times this season we've seen uh, movement away from the puck to get to some soft areas. And they were a big driver of the fact that the Ducks came back and scored three goals to tie, uh, tie this thing up four to four. And so even though, like you said, Troy Terry is going to say, this isn't good enough for us. We we want to be doing better. I'd argue that we hadn't seen this type of game from no. the Ducks to hold no. serve, to, to be this close to a team that was, is one of the top teams in the league. And so, well, yes, they, they wanted to win this game, obviously. And I think that from a, a fan perspective, you, you want to hear your player say that, that they're not satisfied with yeah. anything less than a win. Well, it's but a healthy, I, it's a healthy mindset for the players to have yes. as well. Yeah. Yes. I, I think the, the better way to put it is if you're a player, it's like, we shouldn't be happy with a loss ever. Yeah. But the process was there. And if we continue that process, we know we're going to yeah. get those results. And I think that's probably the mindset that you have to take out of this game as a fan that, the process was very good. And you and I talk about this a lot with the ducks and, and with analytics overall and why we look at them is you're looking for the process. And, and that's the key thing here. It, it's a result versus process situation. Some people, a lot of mainstream media will only look at the results and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And what you and I try to look at with these numbers is what's the process to get to that result. Is that process repeatable? Is that result going to keep coming because that process is there? And so while they may have been getting some good results in the beginning of the year, the process was crap. And, and that that's putting it lightly. And they even admitted that. Again, yeah. Troy Terry said that. <laughs> yeah. That and, and, was about. And, and so in this game, the positive that you can take is while the result wasn't good, the process was really good. And against a really good Vegas team, and this was with Shea Theodore for half the game or over half the game or something like that. Yeah. And so there's a lot of positives to take away from this game as a fan. And, well, and this to, was to me... And, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and the positive takeaway from this game versus the other one is the other game. I think there's a lot of defensive positives. I think in this game, there's a lot of offensive positives that you can look at for this team. And the fact that they found goals when they've struggled to find goals. I mean, this was the first time they've scored four goals this season. And yeah. I, I think what they've only scored three goals Um, on. I think this was the first time they scored three goals, not a, or on a goalie this season. If yeah. I'm remembering correctly, I think every other three goal game that they've had was against uh, the third goal was an empty net goal. Um, 
if people, if I'm wrong, people in the Twitch chat, please correct me. But I believe that this was the first time they scored three plus goals against a goalie. And so that, that definitely is a good sign. And they were, cre- it wasn't like they were coming unlucky. They, the, the, they no. were getting their chances. No. And, and that's to me, the other biggest positive, And it's something that we talked a bit about last week, but I think was, it became even more true in this game and in the, and in the subsequent game is that, that the, the ducks young players, I mean, really kind of made this happen for, for the most part. I mean, Isaac Lundestrom with his snipe, but even setting up that goal, Max Coltois with the really nice, you know, game, the zone with control of the puck, stop up, let the play develop, hit the trailer. And then Lundestrom is the one that finishes that playoff. Like that's, that's the Ducks' future right there. Those are, I mean, that that's their idealized future is is their young players uh, making those kind of contributions. And then, I mean, we we talk so much about Troy Terry on this show because he is a bit of an analytics kind of. I don't want to say darling because he does he's not perfect in that regard, but he's a player who I think analytics favor a little bit more than maybe the eye test might. In this game, he had the eye test going big time. I mean, look at his goal in the third period the patience to stick handle out of out of a tight spot and into a more dangerous position, something that even the broadcast, um, the, the the prime ticket broad, broadcast has talked a lot about is that he's getting better at, at finding the better shot, making a good shot into a great shot. And in that one just goes goes upstairs on flurry. And then after that, and then after that, the, the goal um, to, to get the Ducks even closer where he wins a battle behind the net and sets up Adam Henrique. These, these, this is the future of the franchise and yeah. in front of our eyes, they are, this is what the franchise wanted to see this season is them to go from guys who, Hey, look, we're going to be patient with them. We're going to, you know, live with their mistakes to now being contributors. And that's what we saw in this game. And then, and then really to kind of top it all off, you saw the, the ducks power play, get a goal for the fourth goal yeah. with, with Ricard Raquel's with a really pretty feed to Ryan Getzlaff, which by the way, not a point shot, not a rebound, just a nice kind of setup play. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just, there's a ton to take away from this game. But to me, I think the biggest kind of macro takeaway is the fact that the young players were some of the big drivers of the success. Yeah. And and I think that the Isaac Lundestrom line uh, looked okay. I think in this game, I think they had a much better game in the second game. One of the big things that we haven't talked about yet, Derek Grant was scratched. This was the first game that, Derek Grant, I think, was healthy for and got, I mean, there's no other way to put it. He got healthy scratched. Yep. And, and that, that I think, is a very bold move by Dallas Akins. I mean, it, it wasn't, what, two or three weeks ago when he was using Derek Grant as the matchup center against Nathan McKinnon. And this is a guy that uh, Bob yep. Murray signed to a three-year deal in the summer. Grant's at only 1.5 mil, but you don't sign a guy to a three-year deal unless you're planning on using him uh, a fair amount. And the fact that Dallas Akins has the confidence, and I think as much as we've criticized him, we need to give him credit here to scratch that guy and healthy scratch him. Like, this is not a kid that he's healthy scratching. This is not Adam Henrique where it's dumb and we're going to criticize him for it. This is a guy that, quite frankly, wasn't really improving this lineup that much and didn't bring something to this lineup that I think was that influential. And now, granted, he played the next game. We'll get into that a little bit more because I actually am okay with that. But I... To do that, I think, is a sign and a sign that he understands that maybe the the fourth line is better off with David Backus there, that that David Backus brings more to the table than Derek Grant does. And I think that that's a a, a healthy sign from the co- coaching staff to do. So that. I actually slightly disagree with okay. that. OK, um, be, mainly I don't think it's as much of a 
them not thinking he's good enough as much as it is faith in the guys that were in the lineup because Grant okay. had been out of the lineup, you know, here and there. And I don't think, you know, typically Dallas Aikens will say if it, like when a guy is scratched well, that he's dealing with something and there was nothing about that. So they definitely scratched him, no doubt. But I think it's the fact that David Backus has been playing really well. The fact that Isaac Lindstrom has been playing really well, that Ryan Getzloff was coming back and, yeah. and Sam Steele is untouchable. Well, at least in that game. And so it's just those other guys kind of forced his hand because look, when teams are winning, when teams are winning, coaches will stick with it. They're very loath to make changes. Well, and I think, I think that it kind of, I think that's also a big part of it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think the only thing is he, he had him playing on the top line against San Jose. He yeah, had but him, he, like Getzlaff was hurt in that game. No, so, I, I agree, but yeah. it, it, it's not it's not normal for a guy to be plopped into the top line no, when he gets healthy not. and then be healthy scratch instead of just being pushed and, down. And, into and the Grant lineup. wasn't good in that game. Like, no, but the, the, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, my, which my could po- be part of it. Yeah. My my point is that I was fully expecting when Ryan Getzlaff was was healthy for Derek Grant to slide back in on that fourth line and Nicola Deloria or Carter Rowney or David Backus to all co- one of those guys to come out of the lineup. And, and and Derek Grant slide down there. So the fact that he didn't was uh, a pretty good idea. So uh, yeah. no, I, I mean, we, I mean, we're, yeah, like I think because we don't know exactly what went into it, we have to take into consideration all possible angles. And I think from whatever angle you look at it, I am more willing to believe it's more about the guys who were in there. But I don't have any issues believing that it's also just because he doesn't really see Derek Grant as as much of a vital part of this lineup as he maybe used to. But that yeah. being said, he played in the next game. So, <laughs> yeah, but OK, so let's, let's have the conversation, because I, I think that this is the perfect. Wait, so, so, so are, are we done talking about this game? Just just to clarify. Yeah, unless you have anything else to add. I think that this is a really good game for the Ducks. I think yeah. they were let down by by some poor goaltending by Ryan Miller. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of positives to take away. Yes, they didn't win, which sucks. But uh, I think from a perspective, if you're a, a fan not expecting this team to make the playoffs like like me, I think that this is the exact type of game that you're looking for. You're not necessarily caring. The, I mean, just so everyone knows, this is exactly where I'm at. I don't care if they win or lose a game, honestly, because I don't fully expect this team to make the playoffs. And if they do to to make a run or do anything good, all I really care about right now is giving me a good process. Give me the give me a good process where I can say can see something there that then once Trevor's egress gets inserted into this lineup uh, as we move forward. No, but in the mult in the years coming and, and with changes and growth and things like that in the multiple years, that there's something within this lineup that can be built upon, can be improved to, to build a solid team that is going to become a contender. And that's what I'm personally looking for out of each and every one of these games. And I think in this game, there was something there. Well, you want to know another positive that was actually taken away from this game? Sure. Uh, Thomas Nosek in the game. <sighs> positive COVID test <laughs> real, real quick before we get there, before we get there, I want to <laughs> okay. ask you this because th- okay. this, this affected the second game, Sam Steele. It, I think it's time that we, we have a bit of the conversation about Sam Steele. We've done it a bit now, but he's just not been good enough. Okay. I, I don't, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So if, if you want to talk about that, I have no issues. So yeah, they scratched him in the next game <clears throat> and I don't think it was purely uh, just a matter of, hey, we want to get other guys in the lineup, Uh, you know, because Derek Grant got into the lineup. Max Jones got into the lineup. So they were working guys in. But I mean, if Sam, if the the coaching staff was fully confident in Sam Steele, 
you know, they would probably be leaving him in there. And especially, uh, you know, if you listen to some of Dallas Aiken's comments about Sam Steele in the last couple of weeks, they're not necessarily glowing reviews, you know, saying how he's passing up too many opportunities. I mean, I think we talked about this in the last pod. So there's clearly a little, a little dissatisfaction there with where he's at. And so I think scratching him was the right move because I do think he is at the point where the game might seem a little too fast for him, especially without the puck. Yep. Now, of course, I think it's worth mentioning that in that game, his line was, had decent numbers. I mean, they 55.5 uh, shot attempt percentage, uh, not as great from an expected goals for percentage. So I don't think he played horribly in that game. He had moments, though, defensive lapses that definitely hurt the Ducks. So overall, I am very curious what's going to happen in the Ducks next game because and in, moving forward, because look, Sam Steele hasn't been good this season. Uh, he has not shown. Not only has he not shown the kind of progress that, you know, Terry and Coltois have and Lindstrom for that matter. I don't think he's and like, I'm sorry if this sounds really harsh, but I don't think he's shown any progress. Um, he yeah. had he had maybe a two, three good games to start the season. Uh and keep in mind, those games didn't actually result in strong underlying numbers for the most part. So I just don't know what you do with him at this point. What is the next step? I mean, for me, the next step with him is he should go down to the AHL. I don't. And I, I think this is a situation where this is this is something that he's needed. And I think he needed last year. And I think he needs it more than any of the other guys that necessarily got sent down the Mac. I mean, Max Jones, maybe we could argue he, he needs it, but I think Sam Steele needs it way more than Troy Terry did last year. And yet Sam Steele was locked into a roster spot beyond all belief. And, and so, um, and so Sam Steele really just needs to go down. He needs to work on his game. And I think that we, I, I looked at it today because I actually wrote the the five takeaways from the Vegas series today, and it will go up tomorrow for anyone listening to this on Monday. It's going up today. Um, but Sam Steele, if you look at his numbers, he's been a drag on basically everything. Um, and um, or basically on every player, I think Jacob Silverberg is maybe the only player in the Ducks organization, uh, so far as a forward that hasn't seen his uh, Corsi four or expected goals four percentage go down when playing with Sam Steele. And it, it's marginal, it's a one percent increase, so it, it's basically the same. And so, my takeaway from that is just Jacob Silverberg's good, just but, could be just variance, <laughs> yeah. But so, kind of having said all that, is every player is better without Steele than with him, and I think that there is something you can take away from that. that Sam Steele just isn't there right now and needs yep. that time. And I think sending him down, I, I'm honestly shocked they didn't send him down this past weekend. Um, the mm -hmm. goals played two games. It's on Saturday or played on Saturday and today on Sunday. And uh, they could have very easily gotten him into a game to, to get him some work because he, had, he hasn't played since Tuesday. He got Thursday off and they're off, the ducks are off till Monday. I'm not quite sure why they didn't. And that kind of leads me to believe that he probably is going to be back in the lineup, I guess on on Monday might be my guess off of that, but it, it would have been a perfect opportunity to get him a game on Saturday and, and the well, ducks are in town. The goals are in town. There was no travel needed. He would go to Irvine, play a game. He's on a, he's on a, or he's waiver exempt still. So they could do it. It's just, I don't know. It, I think that I that's think that one that, thing that could indicate more that this, <clears throat> they're not quite where you're at <laughs> in terms of their evaluation of him. Like that, that scratch could have just been more of a rest thing. It could have been more of a, you know, might be less performance based than we might be thinking here. Um, regardless of what they are thinking, I do think that his uh, 
performances have not been good this season. And the bigger issue outside of the fact that he hasn't really shown any progress is that he's 23. Now, someone might say, oh, 23 is still really young. He's got plenty of career ahead of him. And he does. But these are like for prospects. These are the years where you should start seeing some growth. You should start seeing uh, some kind of progression in their skill set. And with guys like Terry and Coltois and even Lindstrom, we're seeing that in full force this season. Yeah. Like, and, and it's beyond, you know, even just the scoring. I mean, Coltois is still not a perfect player. No, but but you can at least see certain elements of his game that have gotten better. And and he is much younger than Steele, right? And and with Terry, they're about the same age. And he's definitely showing some all-around improvement. So that's the bigger concern is that he was a first he was a first round draft pick, now a late first round draft pick, so maybe more of a project. But the point is there like I just don't know what because if you're sending him down to the AHL as a 23-year-old, hey, maybe that helps him. Maybe that helps him spur his career onward. But it's just, it's not the best sign. It's not the best symptom of what's going on with his development. And I don't know if it is just a, a matter of, hey, he needs to get down there, play in a slower-paced league, just kind of get his rhythm back, and then come up to the NHL. Or if it's just a matter of, like, he's he might just need to be a guy who's lower in the lineup. I Or he's just not of the caliber. I don't really know. And maybe we're, we're being too you know, we're rushing our conclusions too much, but we've, we've gotten to see a fair bit of Sam Steele. You know, he played a full year last year and this season he's been a lock in the lineup up until that second game. So it's concerning. I mean, I'm, and, and, you know, I've heard, I've heard people say that maybe he should be a winger, that maybe that's the issue is that, uh, you know, center is just too much for him. And I have time for that argument because I do think that, the, the very short stints where he's been on the wing, he's looked a bit more comfortable. I just really think that without having really dived that deeply into his game, the defensive aspect of playing center just seems beyond him right now in the NHL. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering, what does he bring on the wing, though? Like, oh, you know, because he, he does have playmaking vision. And yes. I think on, and I think on the wing, he, he has shown an ability to kind of feed that puck into That's the fair. slot. But I mean, it's it's still kind of a it's it's still not at this high rate. It's not yeah. at this at this like level where you know you get this big benefit from putting him there. You're just, I mean, really putting him at the wing to me is less about accentuating what he does well and just minimizing what he doesn't do well right now because what he doesn't do well is really bringing the ducks down, as you pointed out. Yeah, but definitely. So um, I think that I mean, I'm kind of this is all circling back to Sam Steele getting scratched. I think they made the right decision scratching him. I think it was something that was a long time coming. I'm just curious to see where they go from here with it, because I mean, they played a pretty good game and we'll get to that in a sec. But I mean, do you want to jump into it about uh, the, the Thomas Nosick situation? Well, I just want to round out by saying that I think part of the complication right now for Steele is that Isaac Lindstrom is playing well and that, yes, as long as. Linda Strom or Lindestrom, I don't know anymore. I, re- I really don't. Uh, as long as he's playing well, um, that's going to make it tough for Sam Steele to get consistent looks because I don't think they want to take out Bacchus. I don't think that they love taking out Grant. And of course, you know, Getzlaff's not coming out. And hey, by the way, Adam Henrique is a center, even though he's playing on the wing right now. So they've got a bit of a log jam at center. And it does feel like Sam Steele is kind of the odd man out, or at least he just hasn't been good enough to be an every night player. Like he's, I I don't think that that's how he should be used moving forward. Now this is tough because there are two views on this. One is that, Hey, 
if this were a development type season, more like last year, yeah, you leave them in every game. You live with the mistakes. You let them learn the job on the fly. But the Ducks want to be in the playoffs. They are in a playoff position right now. I think they have the fourth seed. And if he is not up to snuff, if there are guys that are better, you know, I think you kind of have to go with that, right? You can't like the development on the fly phase for this team. They've said it. It's it's over, right? Or at least it's it's not what it used to be. So I mean, we're saying it's over, but yeah. Well, I mean, my point is, if you if you do want, if you do believe that you are a playoff team this season, and that is your only goal, then or at least it's like ninety percent of your goal, and ten percent of that is development. I don't think there's, I don't think that really helps Sam Steele's case because he is more of a development type player. Whereas Terry, uh, Contois and, and Lundestrom right now, they're guys who are actually helping the, the results as well. Yeah. So difficult, difficult situation, but yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about the, uh, what happened with Nosek, and then we can probably take a little quick break and then we'll, we'll talk about the, that game overall. So no sick tested positive, uh, had to leave the game. I think it was in the first or second period. And then, uh, the next day, you know, that, that was when we heard about the, the NHL revamping all of its COVID protocols. Um, I believe that they administered another round of tests to both teams before playing that game. Uh, and then they ended up playing, uh, yeah. despite, I mean, 24 hours after a, a guy who's confirmed positive. So, the optics of that are pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so basically I think this is what they, they decided to do. And Mike, I'll, I'll add something at the end to it, but I guess their decision was all of the players in, within the game would get tested on what would have been Wednesday. And the reason why no sick, the test came back in the middle of the game is they're all, they were all just doing PCR tests, which take about, I don't know, anywhere from 16 to 18 hours, I think is what they're saying from the NHL for, for their standard amount of time to get a PCR test result back. And so they didn't get back the results uh, for the Vegas team, I think until midway through the game. And that was when they were triggered that no, or they were told no sec tested positive, which my question is you shouldn't be playing games until you get your test results back. But regardless, the, the additional thing was they added rapid PCR tests on the day of the game. In addition to their standard PCR testing procedure, Rapid PCR test gets you a result right away. The other thing what they did was they added uh, they added some additional protocols for being able to sit in the the rooms and KN95 masks and things like that. Basically, they they enhanced they've, their protocols. They've that caught up to reality. <laughs> probably these are all things that they should have done in the first place. the The fact that these weren't the fact that you enhance protocols or something like this is insane to me. This should have been done in the first place. But regardless. They're there. Good on them now for updating it. They should have been there in the first place. They should be criticized for that. But the the question I have with all of this is, thankfully, it seems as if nobody has it and, and got it from Thomas Nosek. And I yeah, think that, still, that, that's still a good no sign. one from either team added to the COVID protocol list since which, that game, which is a very good sign because my concern at the point in time was typically people say to wait about five days after exp- potential yeah, exposure. So to we're get about. We're about three and a half days in now. So. I, think five, I think we're at five. We're at five. Well, the game Tuesday. was on Thursday. No, the game was Tuesday. Oh, the right, no, right. no second right, game right, was right, Tuesday. The first game was Tuesday. Yeah, so we're we're so, at, we're at five days right now, and so, so it, it could be that they're in the clear. I think you still got to wait a couple days, but that is a positive sign. Yeah. Yes, and, and sure. so basically, if anyone got infected, it takes about five days for it to fully hit your system and show up on a positive test. And so yeah. that's kind of what we were waiting for, and why I personally would not have played the game. And 
my question here is how can the NHL though consider that they're taking contact tracing um, seriously when every single player on the ice was in contact with Nosek, and that that's why to me it's a situation where they probably should have just postponed the game they played it uh, on Thursday it seems as if there haven't been any positive tests, which is thankfully the case. Well, uh, there, ha- there haven't been. If yeah, there sorry, were, we, sorry. we, we would know. Correct. Yeah. Correct. There hasn't yeah. been any spread is, is probably the better way to put it. So yeah. Um, Thursday's game was in doubt. They ended up playing and it seems like it's okay right now. Yeah. So we just still got to wait and see. I don't think that the right decision was made. Uh, I really don't think Agreed. there was any harm in postponing that game. Um, you could also argue that if there was any damage done, it would it was already done in the first game. So what's another game, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, let's um before we talk about our the next game, should we talk about our friends at Mac Weldon? Yes. So there are a lot of things that you'd probably like to leave behind in 2020. One of the most important being your old underwear drawer. If you're rolling into the new year with the same bunching, chafing, and uncomfortable underwear, then you've got to check out Mack Weldon. Uh, Mack Weldon is an essential piece of my daily routine. So, Felix, you and I both have gotten a fair amount of Mack Weldon products over the last little bit. Both things that they've uh, provided to us for some use. And also, you and I have both gone out of our way to get additional uh, Mack Weldon product on our own dime uh, because we were so satisfied with the product. I personally am the biggest fan in the world of their ACE sweatpants. Their ACE sweatpants, I think, are my favorite thing that they they have. They're the comfiest sweats I think I've ever owned. If you're like me and for whatever reason, like things being a little bit slimmer, a little bit trimmer, uh, fitting a little bit tighter, these sweats are for you. Uh, these are my favorite sweats that I own, and I now have two pairs of them, and I could own four or five and wear a different one or Seven. Let's go with that. Let's go with seven and wear a different ace sweatpant every single day of the week. And I'd be happy. What, what are your thoughts on the ace? Because you have one, you have them also. Yeah, I have two pairs now and I do love them because they're, they're really like, they keep you warm, you know, when it's colder at night, like right now, uh, here in California, it is pretty cold at night. And so they're perfect for that. But even during the day, if it's a little warmer, you don't feel that kind of, you don't feel like you're heating up either, which is nice. They just, they have a good temperature regulation. They're really comfortable and they don't look like kind of schleppy, uh, you know, sweatpants either. You don't necessarily look downtrodden wearing them. You actually can still look pretty, pretty put together. The product that I really love is the radius pants because those can, those can, I mean, they're the jack of all trades, especially, I mean, working from home, you can put them on. And for me, like I put them on and they look kind of like business pants or, you know, slacks, whatever you call them. Um, and so you feel like, Hey, I'm going to work today, even though I'm, I'm still at home, but then you can actually still use them for athletic activities. So when I go on my lunch, go work out in my home gym, I can use them and I don't have to change. Um, so I highly, highly recommend those. I have like three, three pairs at this point and they, they have been wonderful. Yeah. And so in addition to that, uh, and, and all those different things, you can obviously get, um, underwear from there. They have shirts. They basically have everything to meet kind of whatever the day brings to you. And I am a huge fan. So they also have their Weldon Brew blue program, which is totally free, a totally free loyalty program. Level one gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level two, by spending $200, you get 20% off every order for the next year. Mac Weldon wants you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear from them, 
Uh, you can keep them and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. So for 20% off your order, vis- visit MacWeldon.com slash CTP and enter the promo code CTP. That's MacWeldon.com slash CTP, promo code CTP for 20% off. Mac Weldon, reinventing men's basics. All right. Well, hey, with hope, hopefully you guys go over there and, and grab some because it is absolutely worth yep. it. Let's talk and about that second game. Real quick, I want to jump in here and, and give a shout out to people on Twitch who have uh, subscribed, resubbed. Uh, so far, we have LewisX209 resub for 29 months, Science Cat 108 subbing or resubbing for five months, Dan Grimshaw resubbing for seven months, Bionic Chris gifted a sub to Realize92, and Ginger Wolf gifted a sub to M Young. So shout out to all of you for doing yeah. that, for resubbing, for gifting subs. If you want to help support the show, that's one way to go about doing it. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, absolutely. That is huge, man. What do you say? 29 months? 29 months for Lewis. That has to be about when we started that, doing this. That is a Twitch. long time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So let's um let's talk a little bit about that one zero game uh that the Ducks actually won with Sam Steele being scratched. So this was um, I mean, this was an interesting game because it did feel like the Ducks were really controlling the flow of play the entire way through. But then if you look at the numbers, uh, that wasn't quite the case. Yeah, I, it wasn't necessarily the case. I think that if you look at expected goal numbers, it's going to be a little bit different than Corsi and and uh, shot attempt numbers that you'll find. Um, if you're looking at expected goal numbers, I think that's where the Ducks really thrived in this game. And so even though Vegas got a fair amount of shot attempts and, and got a fair amount more, 57 to f- uh, 51 in all situations uh, for Vegas, 49 to 44, Um, where the ducks really did better was limiting those chances against this wasn't necessarily a high chance affair. This was a, a a game that in all situations, so including power plays, because I think at the end of the day, that's uh, a good thing to look at with expected goals, expected goals were 1.88 to 1.36 in all situations. So this wasn't necessarily a high chance, high event affair. This was one where both teams were limiting each other. But I think the Ducks did a good job of keeping Vegas to the outside, and that's where they really thrived in this game was uh, limiting Vegas's chances. And this was probably John Gibson's easiest shutout uh, or shutout of the season, easiest yeah. one nothing shutout I've ever seen from him. And it's one where, I, what was it, a, a week or two ago, the Ducks put up that stat about no, one nothing shutouts, and I was criticizing it. This is one where you would actually say, yeah. That, that's about right. That's where this game probably should have been. One, one, nothing, one, one, two to one in that range of scores where this game should have ended up. So um, it, it's one that I think that I disagree with you. I think that the Ducks actually played a really good game in this one. And they even, and the numbers kind of bear that out. Maybe not from a shot at shot perspective, but from a mm-hmm. chance perspective, it does. Yeah, no, I, I actually agree with that. I think that overall, even though you could maybe quibble with some of the numbers, I think overall, just watching them playing this game, there was a lot of really good things happening out there. I think the biggest thing to me is how much they limited uh, the, the Golden Knights opportunities really until the very end when the Golden Knights were, were trying to come back in the game. And, you know, once again, uh, Max Coltois gets a goal in Vegas. And this one was off of a really pretty feed from Ricard Raquel behind the net. He gets it to his backhand and Coltois just kind of slips into that, that dead area where there's nobody that quiet area in the slot and then just goes far side on, on flurry and, uh, and finishes it off. So yeah, this was just, I mean, this game just felt like the ducks were playing at a solid level. It felt like 
I mean, maybe this is harsh to their earlier performances, but they they felt like a real NHL team in this game, just a normal functioning well, NHL team. And that is that's huge for, for where from where they're coming from. Here's the biggest positive I actually take away from this game outside of kind of defensive uh, playing a really solid defensive game in the third period. Once they got that one nothing lead, they didn't necessarily turtle. It, it, it wasn't. Because I, I think it was game two against Vegas, game two of the season when they were in Vegas, the Ducks held a one nothing lead, and they did a pretty good job, honestly, of limiting Vegas's chances. And once Vegas got the goalie pulled, they they really started pushing it. But I mean, still at the end of the day, Vegas was uh, Vegas was getting the majority of the shots in that second game. Whereas in this one, once the Ducks got that one nothing lead late in or halfway through the third period, I believe was when it came they really pushed and they weren't sitting back. They were pushing the play. They were getting chances and they held possession in the other teams in Vegas's zone. And I think that's the biggest positive because I think as a fan, I don't want to see this team. If they have a one, nothing lead and they're playing a low event type of game, I don't want to see them turtle and specifically then just allow um, all of these chances against and, and just hope that John hope and pray John Gibson keeps playing a, a fantastic game. This was a situation where the Ducks pushed the play still. And yes, they gave up some chances going the other way as a result, but that's what you're going to do. You don't want to, we have a one, nothing lead. You don't want to try to win the game. One, nothing. You want to push for that second goal. Cause yeah. if you get yeah. that second goal, then, then you're it's done basically with two, a two, nothing lead late in the game. It's pretty locked in. Well, Obviously, also, there's chances but, that goes but also, awry, but yeah. In this game, they could have, like, the, the scoreline doesn't really indicate how many opportunities they, like, they they could have extended this lead a few times over. Yes. And, you know, like, Ricard Raquel had opportunities. Um, so this, the, the scoreline doesn't fully indicate just how well they were really playing. And I think that that's, it's not the oh. type of, it's not the type of one nothing win that they were getting in the beginning of the season. Yeah, and I mean Isaac Lundstrom realistically should have scored in this game. I mean, yeah, this this, this was the game where and he another had, feed from Comtois. <laughs> Comtois, a great little move on, on Mark Andre Fleury, and that's a goal that I mean, or a shot that Mark Andre Fleury saves one out of every ten times. Probably it, it's a goal, a shot that goes in nine out of ten times, and this just happened to be the maybe even maybe even less likely than that the the one time where Mark Andre Fleury is able to reach back and pull the puck off the goal line. It's just a, a crazy situation. Yeah. And, and so the Ducks probably should have had a goal before that Comtois won it realistically. And yeah. so uh, this, this was a really good game. And this was one, like we said, Sam Steele out of the lineup, Derek Grant draws in um, granted didn't have fantastic numbers, but overall <laughs> super low event uh, when yeah. Derek Grant was and on the ice. That's kind of what he does. <laughs> yeah. Super, super, super low event. Max Jones. 0.04 expected goals, 4.1 expected goals against. Oh yeah, Max Jones drew in for Danson Heinen. Should mention that. That was a bit odd. That's yes. the that that's the one thing I didn't quite get. It could just be a matter of hey, we have these two guys who are available again, or at least Jones is available again. Uh, this is where like this is the it, it's on a back to back. These are the guys who seem tired or whatever. Let's just work them in like that. That is kind of how coaches think sometimes, and I think that that could be that could be a part of it. Um, they did lose the game before, despite their, their nice performance. So uh, that that can always lead to change. Uh, but I would imagine that Danton Heinen will be. I mean, he'll still be a, a regular. I don't. I don't think him being scratched in that game is a sign of of more things to come. Whereas I think with Steele, it is a bit more, just because he is in a precarious position now with all of these centers. I mean, Danton Heinen is still very clearly one of the better wingers on this team, and even though. Uh, they want to get Max Jones reps. You, you can't leave Danton Heinen off this, 
off this roster out of the lineup for very long because you're, yeah. you're, you're shortchanging yourself at that point. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into that, even though I still find it kind of weird. <laughs> I completely agree. It's definitely odd for the, for that to happen. So um, overall though, this was a good game for the ducks. And I think that that that's kind of the, the big takeaway here for yeah. this ducks team. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and I guess to zoom out, it's, it's two good games in a row against a really good opponent. Uh, you know, even if there were some injuries. So now the ducks have played 15 games. They're 26.8% of the way through their season. So we kind of, we kind of have a good feel for who they are at well, this point. Last, last podcast, I believe you asked me or I asked CJ or someone asked someone, are the pitchforks still out uh, after, after the week against the Kings in San Jose and whether the pitchforks were still out after kind of the poor performances before that. And I think we all had the same agreement that they played better, but it was against the sharks and the Kings. Yep. And, and really this, these next two games would be telling against uh, Vegas to mm -hmm. see where this ducks team actually sits, how they actually are, because they're now playing one of the class, uh, one of the teams that's the class of the West. And I mean, yep, if, first place team. <laughs> exactly. And the ducks split. And here's the thing, even though, yes, they didn't get both. They didn't get wins in both games. They split. And, there's not going to be many teams that will be able to say they got two out of four points in Vegas. Well, in, they not the only split, series. but they could have won both. Well, no. And they, yeah. yes. And, and they played great during it. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is that kind of, this was a test and I think the ducks passed this test in flying colors. And I think that that's a positive sign for everyone out there. Yes. Yes. Um, and so I guess, um, yeah, I guess the pitch pitchforks can be put away for now. <laughs> yes. I do want to add a little, so a little uh -oh. bit of realism to all uh -oh. of this. Here it comes. Here it comes. Ready yourselves. There are people out there claiming how the Ducks are in the fourth playoff spot right now. And they, say they, they, they are. They 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 are by by points. Yes. Every, I think we all and there's a reason why I think. Granted, I think part of his last year, the NHL's added points percentage to yes. the standings page. And that has been done on purpose, just in multiple reasons, in case for whatever reason, not every team can play 56 games. They will go by points percentage, I believe. They, they've said that. And the other thing is that you're dealing with teams. The Ducks have played 15 games. Yeah. Minnesota, who's going to be competing with the Ducks for that fourth and final playoff spot, has played 11. And Colorado's played 12, right? Arizona's played 14. LA San Jose, 13. So yeah. you're dealing with a lot of games but in they hand. But they are tied for fifth in terms of points, Correct. points percentage. Correct. So, Correct. And I but, think that that's more reflective of Correct. how they've been. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that that's the key thing here is that yes, the ducks are currently sitting fourth, but I would argue they're not technically in a playoff spot. You right don't, now because you don't want to. Yeah. I think that there's people that are definitely going to be touting that perhaps even the ducks themselves. Uh, and look good for them. That's like, you want to draw on that for, if you're the team that's involved, but just analyzing this from a distance. Yeah. They're not really the fourth best team in this division right now, but the way they're trending, uh, you know, they're certainly kind of working their way. They're trending up. the right way. They're trending they're, the right I, way. I think what we can say pretty definitively is that they're not in the LA San Jose category. Like no. they're out They're They're, they're in the Arizona category. I think, yeah, they're in the Arizona category. I would agree with that this year. They're, they're in that tier. I mean, cause um, to me in this, in this division, there's about maybe three tiers and they're not in the bottom tier. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree with that. So, Having kind of said all of that, so real quick, actually, M. Young brings up in our Twitch chat, Milano participated in practice today, so he may yep. be back soon even. So yep. that that's another kind of really interesting uh, piece yeah. to this. All I should have brought that up because I tweeted that, but yeah. 
damn you you are you are breaking news and I forgetting bro- to bring up on the show I, I broke that well i don't think i broke it but no one else from the ducks media cohort tweeted it out so um but yeah he's participating in practice and actually when he was asked if there was any restrictions uh john allers asked him is there any restrictions and Dallas Aiken said, well, he didn't have to wear that weird jersey, meaning like the not full participant jersey. Um, and he just doesn't know if he's been cleared yet. So it almost sounds like he didn't want to go far enough to confirm it. But it sounds like he might be really close. Uh, so that's good news. Now, that does raise the question, though. <laughs> Where does he go? What Who do comes you in? Do? I mean, because they're playing the best hockey they've played. But I do still think that the best version of this team has Sonny Milano playing at a high level or at a at a solid level on it. I don't think that they can realistically, I don't want to say keep this up, but they they can't leave Milano on the outside looking. And I would expect that they're going to give him more time because they're going well. I mean, Dallas Higgins is head over heels about the way they're playing. Good for him. Good for them. But ultimately, he's too good to, to be. And I mean, you saw when the Ducks were at their very worst, he was one of the few guys who was actually playing well. I mean, despite the fact that we barely saw him, he stood out immediately. And yeah. I would Im- I would imagine that he comes back in. Now, that does raise all sorts of questions with this lineup, though. Here's here's what I would do. And let Let's me know it. if you think differently. Let's hear it. Now, granted, whether or not they would do this, who knows? Mm-hmm. Take out Sam Steele, take out Derek Grant. Put Adam Henrique back at center and center Danton Heinen, Jacob Silverberg with Adam Henrique and put uh, put Sonny Milano back with Ryan Getzloff and put Sonny Milano, Ryan Getzloff, Troy Terry. Yeah, so I think that that could definitely be. I mean, I like that. I I think that that's the thing with this Henrique situation that's kind of interesting is. He's got to go back to center at some point. I mean, there's definitely a contingent of people on Twitter that just seem to think he's not a center. He has to be on the wing, but he's paid like a center, if that makes sense. He's he, paid. He he led the Ducks in points last year as a center. Yeah, he, I mean, he scored 26 goals last year as a center. So I would imagine that they want him to go back there at some point. Uh, but there are guys who are going to be forced out of the lineup once Sonny Milano kind of finds his footing. And that, that I mean, it's a good problem to have. It, it, it is not the, the where we thought the Ducks would be at this point in time, but I don't I don't have a good read on how the coaching staff is going to navigate that. My guess would be the way that they really hesitated to put Milano in initially would indicate that they're not going to be rushing to put him back in. Okay, this is what I wanted to pull up. So, a great one of my favorite people on Twitter who is replying, you know, replies to my tweets, uh, Rebel Scum at uh i think it's at madera verde 1138 i think he tweeted he tweeted me the lines oh, yeah, he's a he's a great follow yeah he he tweeted me the lines that i think you just said verbatim milano gets terry heinen henrik silverberg contois lundestrom raquel and delorier back as Rowney. is that what you just said it Say that one more time sorry i, I was looking because milano I, I... milano gets terry i think that that that's a line that should happen uh heinen henrik silverberg yeah I know that that didn't work great to start the year, but I get this feeling that that may work better now. Coltois, Lundestrom, Raquel. I mean, that's yeah, like, that's potentially their best line right now outside of uh, Henry Getzlaff, Terry, and then Deloria, Bacchus, Rowney. How do you feel about that group? 
Yeah, that that's exactly. Is what that I said. Is, is that exactly okay? That's what that, I figured. That, that is exactly what <laughs> I, was I believe. To that, pull it up. I believe if unless I'm spacing, I believe that's Christian. Uh, is who that is uh, that tweeted that at you? Uh, yeah, let me I, double check that. I, I, really I, I, good, really good person though. Yeah, Christian. I I read that and I was like, shouts oh. to him. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But We're my question page. though is, how willing are they to go that route? Because there are some guys in there like Sam Steele, like Derek Grant, like Max, Max Jones. Jones, who are left on the sidelines in a pretty significant way there. And uh, that's the thing with the season is that the Ducks want to win. And to win, you have to make some kind of cold calculating decisions. And I don't know. I, I am just very curious how these next few weeks are going to go. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much Grant, into it. Maybe Grant, Sam Steele is just going to be the third line center in perpetuity. But I don't know. Grant's going to be a weird one to see what they do. I, that That's what I'm so interested with, because. To me, he shouldn't be in the lineup. As long as Bacchus is playing well, Mm -hmm. I I think he's going to be a bit of kind of back and forth, back and forth. To me, the the one that is really deciding this, and I've already said this, is Lindstrom, because I think that as long as as he's... Because if you take him out, it kind of gets a little easier to slot guys. I don't think they were expecting him to break out at center this season. They literally started him at the wing. Um, So if he you know, maybe start slowing down. The goals aren't coming. Maybe then they, they put steel back in and that kind of unlocks things a bit. I don't really know, but it is, this is kind of a, a subplot that I did not anticipate coming. Yeah. From this team. I mean, one thing, thing, one thing I've thought about is whether they end up scratching like Delorier and, and playing Grant on the wing or playing Bacchus on the wing, that that's an option that they could potentially do at some point in time if they wanted to. So, um, that well, that's an, inter- I, I just wanted to add to that. There's not really like outside of, you know, Grant Steele, maybe Delorier. I mean, it, it sucks because he's so beloved, but there's not really many weak links in this lineup right now, at least on the forward end. Like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of guys you can just say we, he's a net negative. We we haven't, by the way, we should mention this because we've done a lot of forward talk today. <laughs> we really have. But like, it, we, it, is, we, it is kind of the story. I mean, it well, because they, yeah. they've done a lot of shifting. I would argue that the biggest change here is Dallas Akins has optimized his lineup in a much better fashion, which yes. you and I have talked about something that he should be doing. And lo and behold, he does it and they play better. Shocker. <laughs> they Shocker. get wins. It, it's almost like you and I in some <laughs> or somewhat know what we're talking about. Somewhat. Yeah. I mean, if, if, the, if they had done the things that we were pushing for and then those things just blew up, then yeah, go ahead and question us. But they've done those things and those things are working. Yeah. So um, but we're on the right track here. Shattenkirk Lindholm. They've been good. Very good. Kevin Shattenkirk's rebounded from what was a pretty poor start to the year. And that pairing of Shattenkirk and Lindholm has, has been, been very solid. They've been legit good. And the thing is, like, I know that there's a lot of fans that are upset about the fact that, you know, Shattenkirk, look, this, despite despite the really good underlying numbers, he definitely has moments where he looks lost or where he makes a big mistake. But what you're more concerned about, I think is what, how he looks on balance in the bigger picture. And yep. from that respect, he looks, he looks good. I mean, next him and Lindholm have been a really the, solid pairing. I mean, this is why you and I look at the numbers in a sense is the numbers kind of give you a snapshot of how he is on the ice as a whole. Well, it also, cause the thing is when you're, when you're watching something, and I think this is maybe where you were going is that when you're watching a game, you're going to re- remember a lot of the things that, most of the things that gave you an emotional reaction yep. that, that, that evokes yep. some kind of emotion mm-hmm. and you're probably going to miss some of the smaller stuff. Yep, now, exactly. When you look at numbers, numbers account for everything. 
And so it's giving you a clear view. Now, I don't think you should ignore those moments that evoke some emotion because those are things you have to account for and solve, like if you're a coach. But it's important to weigh that against the bigger picture. And for and, Shattenkirk, there are things he can clean up, but on balance, he's been good. And I think it's important to to recognize that maybe you're only remembering one or two plays. And <laughs> yeah, it, it's not actually like this big deal. Those one or two plays that result in a chance against... Yeah. yeah, they're costly. You're going to remember it. But yeah. if those don't happen actually that often and on the whole, this person is pushing more play towards the other team's net and with, with plays that you aren't necessarily catching up with your eyes or, or remembering, I guess is probably the better way to put it, that, yeah. that aren't big enough for you to remember, but they're creating chances for your team to go the other direction and they end up resulting in goal. It yeah. may be a small enough thing where you're not noticing it, but a goal happens because of it. And well, so, here's here's also the thing that I think probably plays into the narrative yeah. of why some people are down on them. Uh, look at their expected versus actual goals for percentage. So goals for percentage, yeah. Lindholm Shattenkirk is the Ducks worst pairing that they're 44.68 expected goals for percentage. So just purely in theory, what should happen or what's likeliest to happen. They're 53.17. That is a huge disparity. Now, if you look at what happens when they're out there, their expected goals against per 60 is it's not the best of the three pairings, but it's second best behind Hutton Larson and in much tougher minutes. Now, if you look at their on ice save percentage, they've got the worst of any of these three pairings, but with 88.4 on ice save percentage. So they're just kind of not getting the bounces. And I don't think it's because they're giving up this, a ton of quality opportunities. They're just they're not really getting the goaltending. And so it doesn't help that they that they take penalties. It doesn't help that they that they have gaffes. But overall, that's been the Ducks' best pairing. My concern is more so the other two pairings. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Sorry, I'm just trying to look up some numbers very quickly okay. on, on these D pairs, just in terms of chances allowed against. Um, yeah. And so if we're purely looking at high danger chances against, um, so... Things coming in in the essentially the the closest area to the net, which is a slot. something the, the inner, slot inner, inner slot fr yeah. front of the net. All these areas where you really want a goal or a defense pair to to do their work. If you look at Lin, or Shattenkirk and Lindholm, uh, they're going up against the the top team's uh, line or top uh, the other team's top line, and they're allowing the second most uh, high danger chance against per 60. So kind of equating it on a per 60 minute basis, they are allowing slightly more 9.74 than Fowler, Hockenpot 8.08, but Hutton and Larson are allowing the most at 12.73. So yeah. even though your eye test may be telling you that Shad and Kirk Lindholm are allowing all these chances, they're really not allowing that much in comparison to the rest of the team. And they are generating by far the most, uh, or they're on the ice for the most high danger chances for. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing is the ducks generate, like like their expected goals for per 60. I'm looking at evolving hockey. They when they're on the ice, it's at 2.53. No other ducks pairing is even a even at two. Yeah. So that's a pretty stark difference. So they've just been really good. Now, my like, question is like, you know, it's a great story, the Camp Fowler Hawk Yanni Hawkenpaw situation, but the ducks don't control play with those two out there. Um, they allow the most expected goals against. They've had the highest or not the highest, second highest on ice save percentage. So their goals for percentage gets kind of driven up by that. They're at 52.36, but their expected goals for is at 45.7. So this has kind of become an analytical deep dive. The point is they're just not, there's the ducks are still not getting a ton out of the other two pairings. Yeah. Uh, 
Larson and Hutton just on raw numbers have actually been uh, better in terms of expected goals uh, than the Hawk and Paul Fowler pairing, but they give up a ton in shot attempts. So I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah. Uh, It does help that they have one really good pairing. And I mean, the other two pairings aren't terrible. They're not disastrously bad. So I think that that is something worth noting, but they're just not getting a ton out of those guys. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious about why there just hasn't been any movement because the Ducks blue line has stayed really steady in terms of who's been in the lineup for the, for the last, last couple weeks. For the last nine games, ever since Ben Hutton came into the lineup, basically. Yeah, well, it's like Jacob Larson is a fixture, and then there's just no room for like uh, Cody Curran or Josh Mahura. Josh, Josh Mahura. Josh Mahura, I mean, you and, you, and, you and I have been watching a lot of the AHL, and we could even talk about that a little bit right now. Um, but Josh Mahura has looked really good, and it's yep. not just offensively. He's looked really good in his own zone also. Yep. And, and I think this Ducks team could really benefit from having a guy like him on them. And I believe it was Scott Wheeler when he did a deep dive on the Ducks yeah. prospects said it. He's like, I don't know why this guy's not in the Ducks lineup. I, I just don't know why he he's better than Yanni Hockenpah. He's better than Jacob Larson. He's better than Ben Hutton. Like Josh Maher is an NHLer, and, and it, it's pretty simple and, and pretty easy to see that he is that good and should be in the NHL. And if you watch an AHL game, watch a goals game, you will notice it and see it. And so um, I'm not, I'm really not quite sure why he's in it. And honestly, I'm really curious. I mean, we've talked about prospects so much on this, uh, podcast and, and when they're going to get a look specifically regarding Trevor's egress. And we could talk about that. Do the ducks eventually try to give Jamie Drysdale a look? He's looked really good in the AHL so yeah, far. He's point per game in the AHL. I think the bigger thing is that he's looked fine defensively. But I just don't see them breaking up this group right now. I mean, as I, long as they keep playing well, getting wins, they're probably going to stick with this group. I mean, if you think about it, who's who's the candidate to come out? I mean, you know, we know that Dallas Akins loves him some Jacob Larson. Yeah. Uh, we know that he loves Yanni Hockenpah. And Yanni Hockenpah's played well. Valorant coming out. Hutton, they went out and signed. And Lenholm and Shattenkirk aren't coming out. And who could possibly come in? I mean, Andy Walensky seems to have the leg up on any of the guys you just talked about. So I kind of see this just remaining pretty static. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think realistically, if you like, if I had to say, I would say Drysdale doesn't make him NH- play in the NHL at all this year. No, I, I think don't, he stays in the A the entire year. And I don't think that that's a terrible thing. No, either. I don't. I don't yeah. either. I, I think with Drysdale, it makes sense. Give as an 18 year old, give him time to adjust. I'm just purely looking at this and looking at how he's played. And I, I'm trying to, Think it, think about it, and say, I think Drysdale's look better than Jacob Larson has. Now, granted, it's a different level of competition, so who mm-hmm. knows if Drysdale would look like that at the NHL level? But it kind of just in the comparison in my own head, Drysdale has looked better. I mean, Mahers looked better, and so those are the two. If I were looking at the goals, looking for a guy to come in and change it, those are the two I would be looking at. But yeah, I just uh, don't think that the Ducks are actually dissatisfied with their blue line outside of the top pairing, and I also think that uh, they're there's just other guys that are head yeah. of those players. So, Agreed. Agreed. Not happening. Fair <laughs> Sorry enough. folks. Fair enough. Um, there, so would, before- th- there would have to be an injury. I think if there's an injury, then you can start asking those questions. Uh, yeah. Who's, who's available. And also Josh Manson is going to come back at some point. True. Brendan Gooley. <laughs> yeah. What and, happened? And, Where and did there Brendan has- Gooley come? Come there, into the play here. Well, there has been some hinting that he may get some, some looks, uh, whether it's both in San Diego and Anaheim, but I, 
I'm curious what they do when, when Manson comes back, because then that means like, what do you do? Do you scratch, you know, is, is Hawk and Paw becoming more of a taxi squad guy? Um, or is he consistent on the third pairing? Uh, so Manson coming back, will shuffle things up a bit. We'll yeah. 100%. By the way, Brendan Gooley, I believe should be able to go to the AHL for a little on a condition conditioning stint. Um, he won't, I think it's going to be like a five game or something like that is how long he'll be able to play in the AHL. Um, he is not waiver exempt. So in order for him to go down to the AHL outside of that conditioning stint, he will need to, uh, clear, go be put on waivers and clear waivers. If they want him to do that same thing with, uh, the taxi squad, if they want to put him on the taxi squad, they're going to have to have him clear waivers. So interesting thing to keep an eye on with, uh, Brendan Gooley coming up here for the ducks. Um, so interesting there. Um, before I jump into kind of the next thing and then we get into questions, want to briefly mention Lucas Dostal has been really good for the goals. Yeah. Um, and just wanted to mention that you and I are utilizing Instat a little bit this year and they have, uh, they do some expected goal models for the AHL and prior to tonight's game, his GSAX, I think was about eight. I think he should have allowed 13 goals and has allowed five. Yeah. Yeah. He's, like, he's been, he's been fantastic. And, um, it is interesting just how quickly it's happened that he just walked in from a completely different league and is good right away. And, you know, the goals have been playing well, but they're not necessarily this stout defensive team. You know, they do give up some chances. They have had some back and forth games and he's had to be there. Um, so, yeah, credit to him. Yep. And sorry, actually, a couple more things pop in my head that before we get into uh, questions. Is this but... about the goals? No, 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 no. You oh, want to okay. talk about the goals some more? Well... I mean, I do think it's worth bringing up a bit because they are, they are playing extremely well. Go um, for it. They haven't lost yet, I believe. So yeah, they're f- what five and zero, and I think I saw the stat or something that they haven't scored the first goal in any single game yet this year. Yeah, like it's not a perfect situation. No, by any means, like they're not playing perfect hockey. And I think if you listen to some of their comments, they kind of acknowledge that. But there's a lot of good things happening there, and especially if you're looking at it more from a bigger picture kind of prospect evaluation perspective, then I think you become even more excited because some of the Ducks youngsters have really been at the forefront of, of what's going well in San Diego. I mean, like you talked about, uh, Josh Mahura has looked really good. I mean, he, he, he had the game time goal earlier in the week against Ontario. Uh, even Bo grew has had really good moments killing penalties, uh, which is kind of something that, we thought he could do at the pro level. And he's, he's already showing that. Um, I even think Antoine Moran has looked okay. You know, I still don't know what his upside is, but he's been fine for them. And look, I mean, this is, well, okay. One more guy before we get to, you know, who Jacob Perot has been excellent as well. I yes, mean, he, he has in the game against Ontario that I watched earlier in the week, he had, I think it was three consecutive one timers on the, uh, on the goals four on three power play, just blasting away from that left flank. Now I do think part of that will have to tone down a bit. He does need to be a little smarter about that shot, but he's taking that shot because he can score on it. It's not, it's not just him hacking away, trying to get his stats. He is, he is a very dangerous shooter and you know, his, his overall game still is Of course it's going to take time, but he's already showing that he can have an impact uh, at the pro level. And that is very impressive. He's he's shooting the puck a lot. He's fourth on the team in shots on goal. And the only one yep. outside of the, the top line 
for this goals team. I granted they've been split up and, and shifted around a little bit over the last couple of games, uh-huh. but outside of Zegris, the top, the big three for this goal team, Zegris, Carrick, Deleo, he has the most shots on goal outside of those, uh, those guys at, with 12 and five. And now granted Vinny Letary has 10 in two games. So uh, <laughs> go the, the shot, the shots per game are a little bit different there, but still <laughs> Jacob Perot showing it. And he set up a couple goals. He has one assist so far. I believe it was on Andrew. I, uh, I think it was Andrew Agazino scored the goal with Podorowski. I can't remember, um, mm-hmm. but it was a nice little feed on a two on one that was ended up being potted. So I think Jacob Perot's looked really good. Um, he, yeah. So yeah. now I do want to quickly mention, Hey, Trevor Zegras, he, he still looks great. He's still putting up points. He's still finding ways to contribute. Now there are pockets of time during games where he don't really notice him a ton, but he just has this ability to to kind of turn it up a notch when he needs it. And I mean, it's just impressive uh, how, I mean, how seamlessly some of these guys are just translating their yeah. game uh, to a higher level. And I think the one thing with Zegers that I find interesting is you can tell he's thinking the game at a little bit of a different level than his teammates. Oh yeah. And, and I think that is the one negative for him so far is that if he had people who could think the game on the level that he could and put away the chances that he's giving them, he would have more points than he does right now. He would have more than five assists. Yes, I think. he would. And, and and I think that's yeah. one thing to, to mention here is he has seven points in five games. It could be easily 10 points in five games if he had guys that were able to put away the chances that he's setting up for them. And, and so yeah. even though you may look at that and say he had five points over the first two games and now he only has seven, like, is that a downside? Is our... Are the Ducks looking at it as a negative? I would say you're if you watch this game, see the chances he's creating. Well, yes, there are things that he does need to work on from an offensive perspective. He's just at a different level than basically everyone else on the ice. And, well, and I, if you look at, at at their line or the line that he's been on with Carrick, DeLeo, and, and Zegris, or, or, or sorry, that line, they put up a ton of shot attempts. They also give up a ton the other way, but they... They're still they in the been, positive, though. I, yeah, like, exactly. When I, when, that, I, when I was... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like they're still above, but th- there's just a lot that's going on when they're out there. Yeah, it's high event hockey, which is fun. But you you love that. I love it. So do you? <laughs> we, we're going to ask this question probably every episode now. Do you think Zegras stays in the AHL the whole season? I think it's looking likelier because of the way that things are going for the Ducks. As long I, as the as long as the Ducks are going well, as long as they don't have injuries. We were talking about it earlier. They have too many guys right now that they need to work into the lineup, and I just don't see how. Zegras leapfrogs them. I mean, if the Ducks had shown any indication that they actually want to get him in, I would be more on board with that. But I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it gets to the point where he's just been so good in the AHL and maybe the Ducks start struggling again and then they go that route. But I think it's decreasing in likelihood. We're, we're starting to reach a fever pit pitch with it. Kevin Weeks. It's getting major mainstream media Solani. attention. James <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kevin Weeks on NHL Network calling the Ducks out for not having him up. Why is he not up? It's getting some major attention from various different people. Well, also, whether, that, whether that matters to the Ducks is a whole nother thing. Well, also I the, doubt it does. The, the thing is, there's still this narrative surrounding the Ducks that Dallas Akins has to answer to is the fact that they're not scoring a ton. I mean, even though they yeah. got four goals against Vegas in the first game, you know, they got that was the first time this season they had scored, you know, was it three or more? against a goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on on the, the game after that, they only scored one. So that is a, still a real concern for this team. Now, they are generating a bit more offense. So that's something to, to keep track of, to monitor. But th- look, it's out there that the Ducks want scoring. I mean, Elliot Friedman talked about it. Um, there's murmurs. And so I think that, look, 
they have the answer in San Diego right now, a guy who can come up and give them instant offense. Now instant offense, they don't know the only thing. And I think this, this is what they are stuck on is they don't know how that will translate. And they are very fearful of compromising any kind of development from Zegras in doing so. I think it's likelier that we see the ducks make a trade for an established offensive player than them call up Trevor Zegras. By the way, oh, Shadow Ops sorry. Gaming 13 says Patrick Sharp also said the same thing on NBC Sports Network that they should be calling up Zegras. So there, there's people all oh, over. Look, I, I no, agree. No, I'm, I'm just simply stating that this is now becoming more of a mainstream media topic. This isn't a, I'm a just, minor thing. I'm just parroting what I've heard and just telling you that at, that's what's going on. At what point does the Ducks broadcast mention anything about it? Oh, that'll uh, never happen. True. Fair enough. <laughs> like, like what? <laughs> yeah, no, it was just a thought, random thought, random thought. Okay. Um, all right. So before we get into questions, want to hit three topics that, that I think are of importance, some importance, some okay. of them, two of them are, have no importance, but they're worth talking importance. about. To... Hey, you mentioned you, you pronounced the T. It's not something you always do. There wasn't a T I, I did. I said importance, importance. I was saying with a CE, whatever. Anyway. So the first one is, uh, Pierre Lebrun reported, uh, this week that the NHL is considering changes to the draft lottery system. So the reported changes are basically Again? adjusting. Yeah. Adjusting the odds uh, because they're basically GMs are pissed about the fact that the Rangers made that jump from 12 to one. The, 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 the GMs are pissed because the changes that they wanted because of being previously pissed are now actually not yeah. working out in their favor. Yeah. Love, love that. Yeah. Basically um, they want to increase the odds for a team like Detroit to win the, uh, a top three pick. Cause they, it didn't sit well with them of Detroit uh, finishing fourth and they want to limit basically it's essentially going back to the way it was previously, but with three lotteries. So basically want to limit it so you can only move up. I think it's like four or five draft spots, um, which is how it used to be. If you won the lottery and you were ninth, you would move up to fourth. And so overall as a ducks fan, good with this because it makes it easier for the ducks to have a better yes. pick um yes. de depending on where they are and i think uh, logically it makes more sense to me as a fan because i think the worst teams with this current system should be getting the better players in the draft and so i think it's more logical that way and i'm also i am all for what they're talking about with uh limiting the amount of times you can pick first overall you can't pick first overall in back-to-back -back years and i think that that's a logical thing which they're talking about that if you win the first overall pick you cannot win it again for another another year or two or basically something like that so they're talking about yeah. implementing these changes what are your overall thoughts i think that look outside of just my own grumbling about how these gms are kind of acting like kids who just they get what they want. And then all of a sudden they realize that's not what they wanted. Uh, anyway, moving past that, which I'm, I'm trying my best to. Yeah. I do think that that makes more sense because the whole point of the lottery to me, the whole point of the draft is to get the worst teams, like redistribute the talent back to the worst teams. Like, even though I don't necessarily agree with it, that's seems to be the point. And so if you're making it so that even if you tank or even if you're a rebuilding team, you're not guaranteed. You're not even close to guaranteed anything. That's really tough. Um, and I think it just makes more sense that way. I know it's this big philosophical divide. I personally have no issue right now with how things are because look, you're bad. You don't really deserve any favors from anybody. But in this, but in the same breath, that is what the system is designed to do: get get those teams back competitive. So I have no issues with it. Yep, I honestly am fine with just eliminating the lottery system overall. Okay, well that's. I mean, but, we could we could go another hour yeah, about no, that. No need, no so need. So let's let's not. So 
Moving on to the other things, there were two rumors that popped up this week, and I think they're worth talking about in the sense of just simply saying they're BS and they're not worth really thinking about. There are there was the one that uh, I believe crap I can't remember who I think Jason Greger was was one of the people talking about it um, about that Ryan Getzloff is someone that should be moved by the Ducks. Um, yeah, that's yeah. That, oh, sorry, that, go ahead. That kind of came out of nowhere, I think, this week, and some chatter about that. Here's the thing on Getzloff and the important factor here. Ryan Getzloff has a full no move clause. Yes. He's like, made like he's made no no comments about wanting out. Bob Murray's never mentioned about uh Getzloff wanting out. There's nothing there. Yeah. And like it, it's just it's not and even if, really and worth if, the and conversation. If, and if Ryan Getzloff wanted out, he would have wanted out by now. Like, yeah. like the Ducks have had two of the worst seasons in their history the last couple of years. And so there was plenty of opportunities. Like we would know by now if this was a situation that he wanted out of. And instead, publicly, he said the exact opposite. Now, I understand that players are not going to say exactly what they're feeling publicly, but we we kind of have to t- take what they say with and, and uh, give it some degree of importance. And yeah, I mean, every time I go on, you know, different radio shows or podcasts, I always get asked, are they going to move Getzlaff? And I just... The guy doesn't want like he's shown no indication he wants to leave. He has a full no move. Yep. Um, like it's just I very much doubt it's going to happen. Now you could ask the other question, which is should the Ducks consider asking him to waive it? Right? Is that because that's a com- that's a different conversation and yeah. one that I think you can have. I think that it depends where the season goes. If the Ducks are you know kind of they they've regressed down to that bottom tier in the division, they're clearly out of it. Look, why why wouldn't that be on the table? Why couldn't I think, the, why couldn't the Ducks approach Getzloff and say, "Look, you you yeah, you know, I, I, you, we've done right by you the entire way through. Um, you know, could you do us this favor? You know, we'll we'll try to make it work for you as best as we can. We'll we'll get you the contract you want this this summer. You know, we'll bring you back. Like yeah, this is a this is a workable I mean, situation. I I think at the end of the day, you need to kind of I guess weigh the the potential return versus what you're doing with with Getzloff leaving, do, and do I think you, the potential think it, legacy. Look, do you think it's it's this like just not kosher thing to do to just broach the topic with him? No, I think it's worth bringing up to him, but I also like, I don't part, I don't think that should be viewed I, as an insult. I think before you even think about doing that as a general manager, I think you at least need to have conversations to see what the return is. Well, or the return have... would be in like just by like shooting the shit with someone saying, "Hey, out of curiosity, what do you think you would give me for Getzloff?" And, okay. and to at least understand what the return is to well, see if what, it's even what, worth it. Well, okay. So then let's have that conversation. So what would make it worth it? I think is it a, would have... Is, is a second round pick worth it? No. Because to, to me, that's what he gets you. Yeah. And that's the issue. I don't think it does. Okay, I, I, don't, let's, I, I don't think that's personally... Let's say a second round pick and a prospect. If the prospect is going to be a, a, a nothing prospect though. So no. And, and here's the thing. And, and I know this is completely illogical in comparison yes. to my opinions on everything yes. else. And I completely get that. And I... If I was a, someone listening to this podcast, I would be holding myself my feet to the fire on this. And I I get that you're more than welcome to do that to me. I am ex- expecting that result or that from people, but I I think there is something to the emotional aspect of him being a one team player and that is something that he wants. And here's the thing. And I think this is the critical thing. If that's something that Getzloff does value, he went out of his way to get a no movement clause. He probably he probably left some money on the table potentially to do it because that's how typically no movement clauses works. You have to give something up to get one. So 
Getzloff did that to get the no move clause. I think if he's made no bone or made no indication about moving, I don't think it's worth broaching the topic with him. And it is it like he's not moving. That's it. And, th- well, and that's yeah. where I am with this conversation, honestly, overall about Getzloff's trade. And that's where kind of was coming out with it. I don't really think it's a conversation worth having because he has a full no move clause and doesn't want to move as far as we know. I think that you are definitely a little inconsistent here. Doesn't That's mean fair. you're wrong. That's fair. Doesn't mean you're wrong. I would just view it as it just depends who is in charge at that point. Like if the ducks completely reverse course here and, and are bad and they fire Bob Murray and a new GM comes in, I don't think it's, fair. it's, fair. it's fair for that new GM to say, fair. Hey, look, I'm fair. trying to rebuild this thing. Um, I can, we can work on bringing you back, but a second round pick would be nice. Another second rounder would be nice. I like to me, a second rounder is worth it. Um, if they're not good at that point. Um, so I understand you can't, you can't ignore the emotional aspect, but this is a business where people don't give a, no, that's give fair. a crap about other people's emotions. A no, lot that, of the that, times. That's so, totally fair. And most I, th- times- I, th- I think, there, I think there's a way you can do it where it, it doesn't come off as just completely cold hearted, you know? Um, like, like Brian Getzlaff has to kind of understand that this team is trying to rebuild. Now he may rebut and say, well, look, I have, I haven't said a word. I've just been a good foot soldier this entire way through. And now you're going to pawn me off. Yeah. That, yeah, that would be kind of a, a hard thing to hear, but that's, that's also the business. So I don't no, know. I, I completely agree. And yeah. majority of the time, like 99.9% of the time, I would agree with you on this. This is the 0.1% of the time where it's, it is it's the captain. It's the captain. It's the emotional connection, different things like that. that but what if you I, re-sign him in the summer? Like, like I, I how still, much does that change I, I, things? I still personally, this is a personal bias and I completely admit that. And it, it's something for me personally. I want to see Getzloff only have Anaheim next to his name. Oh, okay. Okay. And, no. And, and I'll admit that is a bias. That is something that logically he, I shouldn't if he, if believe he comes back with. and require and retires a duck that, that to me, the legacy is preserved. Yeah. I don't know. I, that sure. I, I disagree. It, <laughs> it's, it's an illogical disagreement. Though, Ryan I, gets left I, I for, get for Sam Bennett and a, and a second rounder. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> All right, so let me, uh, the final kind of thing that came up, it came up, I think, today, actually. And so I don't know if you've really seen this. I believe it was Jimmy Murphy, maybe something along those lines, who I'm not the biggest fan of personally, but yeah. but but came up with uh, speculation was how they put it, that John Gibson potentially wants out, that he's hearing that maybe he's kind of sort of throwing up smoke signals. I don't know how much I fully believe that, but the he added that, he could see the penguins potentially moving for John Gibson because of the connection with Brian Burke and Anaheim and the fact that John Gibson's from Pittsburgh and trying to make all these connections. Here's the issue with all of that type of situation. I don't necessarily disagree with the fact that the ducks should potentially potentially look to move um, John Gibson in the next couple of years, depending on how Lucas Dostal turns out, they shouldn't do it this year uh, at all, but Pittsburgh isn't the team they should be looking to trade with. The Ducks, if they do trade John Gibson, they should be looking to get an absolute King's King, Ransom. King's form. Ransom, yeah. King's Ransom form. They should be getting players for the now, high-end prospects, and some picks. This, this is a guy that you... This is... I, I don't know if this is maybe a bit too much, but this is almost equivalent to trading Connor McDavid. 
in terms of like wins added, maybe. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) In terms of the impact on the team. And and so this is the issue with the Pittsburgh trade. They don't have, they have one of the worst prospect pools in the entire league. Like, and, and also the issue is like, who, who is so enticing for the ducks on the penguins? I mean, if they give you just like a, a King's ransom of picks, just like they're, they're first and second this year, they're first and second next year. Um, Cause there's a potential, like, this is the thing they could get Gibson and, and the penguins could Be still bad. end up being bad. The likelihood so, of that's not high. Because it's as not we've seen, as, as we've seen. Once you get John Gibson, it's hard to stay bad. Well, the ducks have been bad this entire way through. They would have last. Yeah. yeah, they would have been worse, but they still got the sixth overall pick this last draft and the ninth overall the, the draft before. But they didn't so. have Crosby and Malkin, even if they are declining. Yeah, I. So that's the thing. There is a connection there, and you could you could cobble that together in a rumor. But I don't think that that's a, a team that I would want to trade with. Just like you said, because I don't think that they have assets that really kind of put the ducks in this great position. Like, okay, Sam, Samuel Poulin, you know, is a good prospect, but is what, that a guy, is that a guy that you put into the duck system? And all of a sudden you feel that much better after giving up Gibson. I, I don't know. I, so he, I mean, so yeah. he, here's the way that Scott Wheeler profiles and I'm looking at his uh, prospect ranking right now of the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Penguins. Samuel Poulin is the number one ranked uh, player for the Pittsburgh Penguin system. But he and he's basically project saying, as a first liner. He no. projects as a third liner. Like this is a guy yeah. that is, this is Max Jones. Yeah. And, and so they don't really have the, this high end prospect and ever basically. So their best pro- prospect is a Max Jones type, like in well, terms then, of the ceiling. And the thing is, that's why I, I mean, if you were going to do a trade, with John Gibson, like to me, the ideal return is an elite tier offensive prospect and a first round pick and maybe a roster player to make the money work or whatever. But I don't know who like that guy. Does. Colorado is the only one that I could. Colorado is the only one that really comes to mind right but, away. But, the but thing, that the, would be the problem with Colorado. And I've said this before is I just don't know. OK, you get let's say you get Bowen Byron. Like, that's great. That's awesome for the Ducks. But that still doesn't fix what I think is the central issue of this franchise is that lack of scoring touch. Byram and Newhook. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Yeah. But I would rather have the one guy. And that's I, don't know if he, I don't know if he exists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that that's the issue here. And so I here's the thing. I don't necessarily think I would rule out a Gibson trade happening. It's very, very unlikely, especially during the regular season with the money being moved. There's no way. Don't believe the rumor that it's, he's going to Pittsburgh. Cause well, we know that the Ducks. Okay, here's one thing we can't say. We know the Ducks want scoring. Yeah. So if you trade him to Pittsburgh, maybe you get a roster. Like maybe the Ducks view this as we want one of their roster players, like a Gensel or something. But, I, I don't know. And, and, you know, but that would be just a disastrous but, way to go about cashing in on the Gibson chip. Well, and also what does like, what does Gensel do for you? Like is Gensel the player you should be getting for John Gibson? No, no. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I, I think that if like there's a possibility of screwing it up yeah. big time, if you yep. trade John Gibson. So, yep. So <laughs> I'm going to go doubtful there. So that's kind of it for the rumor. So if anyone's in the Twitch chat, if you want to start throwing in some questions, I saw one earlier that we'll get to, but so for those of you watching the YouTube video or the audio version, yes, we do it on YouTube, youtube.com slash cross the pond. If you want to subscribe there, hit subscribe, um, or the audio versions on all your favorite audio, uh, medium. 
Uh, we do the live stream of the show at twitch.tv slash crash the pond, where you can help support the show in a way completely free to you. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub, Twitch or sorry, Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. Want to give a shout out to Realize92, who also uh, has gifted a sub to Ry- uh, Ryro54. So shout out to him for doing that. Shout out to Ryro for now being a uh, subscriber to the show. So if you have questions, start throwing it in the Twitch chat. But we s- had a question earlier. Alex Galchenyuk was put on waivers today by the Carolina <laughs> Hurricanes. Any chance the Ducks end up claiming him? Uh, I would say zero. No chance. No chance. chance. He doesn't improve the team. He adds more to the logjam. Makes no sense. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> so Lewis X209 says, question, what is the black and white striped doll uh, behind me? Uh, it is actually a gift from a good friend of the show, Bonnie. It's a, let me, well, damn it, ref doll. Uh, it's a very Bonnie thing. And I try to have it out, uh, for the podcast because it was a gift from her. So I want to have it out. So thank you, Bonnie. You're probably listening to this at some point. Um, M young asked question with Manson being out and we've seen, uh, the same D pairings for the past four to five games be, and be somewhat successful. Would you consider trading Manson now showing, uh, we don't really need him because we also have still have Mahura and bit hashtag big, big moving shot Koran waiting for their, uh, their shot and that's who they want or who M young wants to see. So do you think Manson's more expendable now? Uh, well, here's the issue there. There's, there's two ways to look at this. One is on the surface, the way this team sees itself, it's possible that they view him as more expendable because of the way that, you know, kind of the narrative has been about how solid like Hawk and has been and, and how good the top pairing has been. So it's possible but by the same token, is that something they should be doing? Because if they want to stay good now, the the t- the bottom two pairings aren't playing well enough for me to say, yeah, they can just let go of a guy who, you know, even though he wasn't good to start the season, has historically been a solid NHL defenseman. So I don't know if there's the really the justification there. I will say this, though. They haven't been terrible without him. They haven't shown that they are just hopeless without him. So for me, I would kind of, like if I was in the in the Ducks position, I yes, I would be thinking more about it now. Even if the logical basis for it isn't that strong, I just think it might be time to do it. Like, like because now you have the excuse is that we're playing well, we have guys in there, we have a bunch of D men, we need scoring help, right? Let's let's uh, flip Manson. I, I yeah. think that that's totally reasonable. Yep. Agreed. Um, yeah, and I'm curious to see who will end up getting a shot eventually if if that happens. But Ginger Wolf asked, um, a lot of the talk on Dostal not being NHL ready hinges on North American ice. Is that really a big deal for goalies? Uh, I mean, it can be. You know, like the the game is different. The game comes at you from different angles. Uh, there's less down low play or that, you know, the, the play is going to come at you faster and from maybe more aggressive angles. So, yeah, it does make a difference. But We've seen plenty of goalies come over and it just kind of and, and do well. And it, I think the reality is if you're a good goalie, you're you're probably going to be a decent goalie anywhere you go. Uh, it's still the same game at the end of the day. Maybe there are some guys who aren't as good and maybe they they do better in a slower pace game. But if you're elite like Dostal, you're going to be good wherever you go. Yep. Um, and uh, the other thing I think on Dostal that or Dostal, I'm probably saying it wrong um, uh, that I want to bring up uh, on the fact of the North American ice 
it's he was playing in Finland the last two years. And the key thing on Finland is they don't play on Olympic size sheets. They play on a bit of a hybrid between North American and Olympic. Yeah. It's it's right in between the two. So maybe that's actually helped because I believe probably when he was in the, the Czech Republic, um, that's where Dostal's from, right? I'm not going crazy here. Um, yep. But when he was over there, he was playing on Olympic size ice that made the transition to Finland where it's a smaller sheet, but not as small as North America. So he's probably already used to being able to make that transition. And so it probably feels comfortable for him. So um, that's kind of one thing that, that yep. I would keep in mind here and probably is something that that's working in his favor. Um, so he's looked insanely, insanely good. I honestly wouldn't hate the idea of the Ducks viewing him as their, their backup next year. I don't know if you or agree or just, wow, just, just <laughs> going for it. No, I, I could honestly see them like this. This realistically is probably Ryan Miller's last season, right? Yeah, it kind of feels like it. And, and I'm not necessarily sold on Stolars being a long-term uh, backup option for this Ducks well, team. Well, it's kind of like a stopgap, I would say. And so I think playing Dostal as as the starter for the goals this year, playing in a bunch of games, to get him ready for a backup role next year, I think is a good way to, to view it. And I, think so, what, I think what realistically happens is he gets two years of starter AHL duty because I think Stolars, yeah. Stolars is on a two-year deal. He had to be on it. Yeah, he's on a two-year deal. He had to be to, for um yeah for the expansion, expansion draft. Yeah, so I think he maybe becomes the backup next year once Miller retires, assuming Miller retires. So yeah. that might be but, what the Ducks should want, anyways, for Miller to retire. So yeah, um, yeah, we'll see. Right. So let's end with this question. Final one, then we will get on out of here. And also, everyone watching this on Twitch, I think we have we two will, questions. Uh, we have two. I see one. I see a question about Shane Wright. Oh yeah, I was going to skip that one because Sha sorry, Shadow Ops Gaming. I do not know anything about Shane Wright. Well, I I do. Oh, you do? Well, yeah. then never mind. We have two questions. <laughs> uh, but real quick, I want to mention this. We did an interview earlier on in the week with uh, Julie Sewer Binks. It was awesome. But for those of you watching on Twitch, I know some of you just come here for the podcast. We didn't live stream that. Our interviews, we don't live stream. Um, but I will play the the YouTube video here after we're done uh, streaming. So everyone here can stay and watch it. So here we go. So Shadow Ops Gaming said, if the Ducks win the lottery next year and draft Shane Wright, what would that type of player bring for Anaheim? Yeah, so Shane Wright is in the kind of, I believe he's in the generational talent type category, uh, or at least very close to it. So that's kind of what you get if you draft him, is uh, a prospect who immediately kind of revitalizes everything. And uh, he he's not in the hockey prospecting database yet, so I can't pull him up there, but... Everything about him is that he's already, I mean, I think he went over to play in, in Sweden at a pro level already, uh, you know, during when things were shut down in Canada. So he, I mean, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> Isn't Brad Lambert also in the conversation of being the first overall? Is that the player I'm thinking yeah. of right now? Who yeah. had a really good world junior. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. I'm, my, my draft knowledge is not at its peak performance right now. No, no. So. Especially not for the 2022 draft. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's end with this one. Then uh, Ryro54 said, question, is it possible that Maher will leave the Ducks since he's hardly being used? So real quick, let me look up his contract situation. I but, think he's a RFA um, this summer. Yes, but he. let me see if he's going to play in enough games to for the Ducks to maintain his rights. If you don't play in enough NHL games, I believe that you potentially are able to walk depending on uh, different situation. So let me check in on that real quick to, to see if he could potentially fall under that situation. Um, but, 
yeah, with uh, with Josh Maher, the other key thing is this summer he's expansion draft eligible. Mm-hmm. So yeah. do you do you think he's a duck next year? Uh well, it's hard to say because I don't know what kind of maneuvering, uh, you know the the Ducks are going to do leading up to the expansion draft. But look, we we've talked about a lot how the Seattle Kraken, you know, they're an analytically inclined franchise, and when Mahura has played in the NHL. He's had good underlying numbers. He's been good by the eye test as well. And he does feel a bit undervalued in this uh, in this franchise right now. So it's it's possible that they, that he gets picked up by by Seattle. Yeah. So I don't believe he actually will will meet that. I believe it. What I'm thinking of is a group six UFA and the player has to be 25 years of age. And so Mahura mm-hmm. is not old enough for that type of thing. So he will. Uh, this is his ELC, though. Um, so when he finishes it, he will not have arbitration rights, I believe. So, um, he will just be a straight RFA this upcoming summer. Um, so, yep. So, um, that will do it for tonight. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add for this show, but this is a good one. Yeah, this was fun. I think we covered a lot of ground. I think if we forgot anything or didn't mention something, uh, I'm sorry. There, there was a lot to talk about this week, and uh, we try to kind of capture, capture it all. Um, I'm pretty sure that with Shane Wright, I said something that actually doesn't apply to him; it applies to someone else. But whatever, he's still really good. <laughs> That's all that matters. That's all that needs to to be said there. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's just kind of get out of here. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, a few different ways that you can. Oh, sorry, I was thinking of Connor Bedard. That's who I was thinking of, Connor Bedard. But Shane Wright is also very good. Bedard is the one who went over to play in Sweden. Okay, without that was bugging me. Uh, so yeah, if you have been enjoying our show, if there is, uh, you know, if, if you kind of want more out of this, or if you just want to show some support, well, we've got a really great option for you. Uh, head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, we give you three tiers there of support. Uh, so for $1 a month, you get access to our uh, patrons only discord chat. And that is where we, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's taken a life of its own, which I think is awesome. Uh, you know, people are in there discussing what's going on with the ducks, the NHL, and, uh, some really high level discourses going on, you know, guys, I mean, the, the, you know, the people in there are really trying to just kind of sort everything out and it, it can also be lighthearted and fun. You get, you kind of just get access to this cool community of hardcore hockey fans. And even if you're not a hardcore hockey fan and you just want to learn, uh, I think that it's, it's a great place to do it. And for a, a dollar a month, there, there's worse ways to spend a dollar. Now for $5, you get access to that, uh, but you also get access to our bonus episodes and we're actually recording one tomorrow. Um, so if you want to get in on that, I, I would recommend it or this week, this week, yes. sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow we're doing something else, which I'll get to. Um, so in those bonus episodes, like for example, the one coming up, we're going to be talking about just a deep dive into the ducks uh, and how they performed at the quarter mark of the season, because that is something that we don't have quite as much time to do on this show. Uh, That's the type of episodes that we do deeper dives into bigger topics, but we also kind of, if you enjoy the banter of the regular show, there is a bit more of that as well. We're a little more unfiltered on that show. Uh, We kind of, you know, a little more humor going on. And so I think you, you, if you enjoy what we do here, you'll really enjoy those bonus episodes. Now, there is a third tier, uh, $15 a month. You get access to the bonus episodes, the discord chat, but you also get access to, uh, we do two watch alongs a month. So essentially what we'll do, we'll, we pick out the dates. Uh, we work with you guys on that. And then we do 
basically an alternative broadcast as the game is going on, a Ducks game is going on. So you get to hear our commentary, our analysis as the game is going on. So you get, I think, more insight into the matchups, into analytics as the game is happening, different kind of more detailed breakdowns, and, you know, maybe a little more lighthearted lightheartedness also some uh maybe just a different tone than you might get on the ducks broadcast so that's for 15 dollars a month now for all of this you do save 10 percent if you pay annually so you don't necessarily have to do a, a monthly uh deal either so that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond and we we highly appreciate the people who have been supporting us the entire way through here and for anyone who jumps on board we'll be we'll be happy to have you now if you don't uh, want to be spending money right now, totally understandable. Uh, there's still definitely some ways that you can support us uh, with no cost. If you go to Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a review. And those go a very long way. Uh, they help us climb climb those charts. And we actually got a new review last week. We make sure to read them on the show. And this is a really easy one. They're really straightforward. You kind of love to see that. Uh, the title of the review is Noice, like N-O-I-C-E, Nice. Five-star review. This podcast is nice. <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Noise. And that's noise. from uh, uh, not necessarily a, a suited for work uh, <laughs> um, username. So I'm not going to repeat it here. But thank you for that username. Yes, that thank, I can't repeat. Thank you. I, I'm happy to know our podcast is noise. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I would I would figure that you would like that. That's kind yeah. of it up your alley. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's at uh, Apple Podcasts. If you're not on Apple, no problem. Uh, you can check us out on Spotify. We are there. We are on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and also uh, turn on your notifications so you know when the new videos are going up. Um, if you kind of enjoy listening to podcasts in video format, uh, then I think that the you know, Jake will upload the Twitch stream there. So uh, we have you covered. If you want to get a little swag, a little merch, uh, I recommend heading over to crashthepond.com slash shop. If you like our logo, well, we've got it on a t-shirt now. We've got it on hoodies and they're really comfortable. They fit really well. I have the black t-shirt with the eggplant and jade logo. So yes, we are actually doing what the ducks are too afraid to do. We incorporate the eggplant and jade. We we love and appreciate it. So we have eggplant and jade. We also have the orange motif. Uh, so if you're a, more of a fan of the current look, well, hey, we've got you covered there. Or you can have both. Why not? But you're supporting our show. You get a cool logo that's got the Honda Center arches or the arch in, in front with palm trees and hockey sticks. It's just, it's good. It's And that's at crashthepond.com slash shop. Make sure you're tuning in to crashthepond.com throughout the week. We've got articles going up. Jake has got his five takeaways. We're doing that after every series, giving you some different pieces of information, some data points that we notice during the different mini series throughout the season. We've got recaps going up every game. And um, yeah, make sure to check that out on social media. That's where we post everything at Crash the Pond on Twitter, Crash the Pond on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at Reindeer Games 91. Good, good follow there. Um, and I am on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. So that will do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye.